0: This episode of Dig Me Out.
1: Unfortunately, on this album, his singing is horrendous.
0: It's precision, it's sledgehammer, it's piston-like, it's punishing. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I am your host, Tim Menichi. And I am joined by my co-host Jay Ziak. Jay. Yeah. How does this evening find you?
1: I'm still hot.
0: As we learned in the last podcast, Jay uh, abandoned air conditioning to live in a makeshift hut, <laughs> and he is currently—I'm
1: trying to be as green as possible. Yes. I figured oh. when I when I got the new five-liter Mustang, I should offset.
0: There you go. The gas
1: consumption of that by living in a grass hut.
0: So you're literally surrounded by straw and shit. <laughs> That's
1: <laughs> maybe the worst show intro ever.
0: Possibly the worst show intro ever.
1: Oh, the heat's making me delirious. I'm sorry.
0: You're gonna start hallucinating. You're gonna you're gonna think that Paige Hamilton is in the room with you.
1: Plus, I'm wearing this helmet for this show, and it's hot.
0: Oh, you wore you broke out your helmet. Yeah. Nice.
1: But you said we're we're reviewing with helmets. <laughs> so I wanted to come prepared.
0: I uh, I think you misread that email. What? What I, what I meant to say was, we're reviewing helmet. Ah. Uh... So you I know you went on eBay and purchased that vintage uh, you know Viking helmet for several thousand dollars looks like this might be an episode where we're gonna have some technical difficulties because yeah I thought the new computer well, go ahead I thought the new computer was gonna be error free but I should have known better <laughs> you know?
1: that's funny Oh Tim
0: like Richard marks I should have known better.
1: Exactly. So what happened to that guy. Oh, oh, we don't have time to get into it.
0: I, I can give you this tiny bit of information. The okay. dude is mad rich. He doesn't have to work. want to know why? Well, he wrote like
1: he wrote like six billion hit songs in the nineties, so in eighties.
0: Eighties, and a lot of them were movie soundtracks. Oh, so he gets all those royalties.
1: Son of a bitch
0: the guys wow. getting paid dollar dollar bills
1: god bless them i guess at least somebody other than the label is getting paid
0: let me tell you uh, uh, who did not get paid and that was page hamilton of helmet <laughs> because they didn't sell a lot of records but they were a good band and they were a band that i liked we are going to talk about them tonight specifically we're going to talk about their debut debut album strap it on but before we do that jay what am i gonna do uh
1: a headstand crack one off
0: i will not be crop dusting i am going to give you the history of the helmet
1: oh okay can you do it with a german accent
0: helmet was formed in new york city 1989 I don't think I want to do that.
1: Oh, that was good though.
0: <laughs> Hold on a second. I got a barking dog.
1: She was just speaking German.
0: She was. And she was reacting to my German, as all dogs do. Nine. So, Helmet formed in New York City in 1989. Original guitarist and vocalist Paige Hamilton formed the band after leaving Band of Susan a band that we covered on this podcast. Not the I cannot album, believe
1: he was in that band.
0: But he was in there for one album and then he left. It was the album that was before the album excuse me that we reviewed. Uh, they formed with Henry Bogdan on bass, Peter Mengetti on guitar, who later formed the band Handsome and john stainer on drums who is now the drummer in the band battles they signed to amphetamine reptile which was a small label in new york city for a single and then their first album strap it on which came out in 1990 the album was engineered by wharton tears now wharton tears is a guy whose resume is huge. He worked on over 200 albums in 30 years. He worked on albums by Quicksand, Yola Tango, Dinosaur Jr., Teenage Fan Club, Biohazard, Sonic Youth, so many more. guy's got an amazing resume. The album was re-released by Interscope in 1991, and then the band officially signed to the label in 1992. They recorded And released meantime that same year 1992 which was certified gold in 1994. biggest selling album of the band's career had the song unsung which was on mtv headbangers ball 120 minutes alternative nation whatever show that they had helmet was playing it um the same year 1994 uh peter Mangetti Left the band. I think I'm saying that right. It's M E N G E D E. Uh, He was replaced by Rest in Pieces guitarist Rob Echavieria. I don't know how to pronounce that. It's E C H E V E R R I A. (sighs) Eka. I need one of those like pronunciation programs that pronounces everything.
1: Oh, I, I love listening to you try to pronounce names. Okay, keep going. He was
0: the guitarist on Betty, which was released in 1994. That album uh, reached number 45 on the Billboard 200, but overall it sold poorly. And the guitarist, Echeveria, left the band to join Biohazard. The three-piece helmet with Chris Trainer, formerly of Orange 9mm on guitar, and uh, Stainer and Hamilton still in the band. Recorded Aftertaste and released that in 1997. And side note, I actually saw the band at the 1997 CMJ in New York City. And I saw them play, I think, only a few songs off of Aftertaste, and then we had to leave to go catch Sebado somewhere. We couldn't stay in one bar for more than 20 minutes. There were so many bands to see. Uh, after their tour... For Aftertaste, the uh, band broke up in 1998. Hamilton moved from New York City to L.A. Started working with former Testament and white zombie drummer John Tempesta. Uh, Chris Trainer rejoined, and they recorded the album Size Matters. He has a three-piece and released it in 2004. That was their last album for Interscope. They had multiple bass player changes and then Pesta left in 2006 to join the cult is the current drummer of the cult in 2006 new drummer, Mike Jost was recruited to record the album monochrome for a New York independent label Warcon. then Jost and trainer both left new band members who I don't know their names were recruited and Recorded the album Seeing Eye Dog, which came out last year, 2010, on Worksong Records. And that is the history of Helmet. Basically, the only person left from the original lineup is guitarist Paige Hamilton. But that really all, everything you need to know about Helmet is Paige Hamilton.
1: He must be a major dick. <laughs> Has he done an album with the same guys more than once?
0: Uh, the first two albums. Oh, wow. And, meantime, we're both with the same lineup.
1: And considering it's always a three-piece, it's kind of astounding that he can't keep anybody in this band.
0: Well, you think about it, he, you know, they they do two successful albums. The guitar player leaves to go form his own band, Handsome. And then they bring in a guy, uh, who then left to go and join Biohazard. So it wasn't like these guys were quitting because they hated him or they fired him. I mean, they were, you know, uh... The original guitar player leaves. Hansom's kind of in the similar vein, and then who wouldn't join Biohazard in the '90s? I mean, come uh, on. well, yeah.
1: I mean, who was who was going to have more promising, or who had a more promising career at that point? Biohazard or Helmet?
0: You know, it's probably even. I mean, Biohazard
1: was it was kind of a big deal in the early to mid '90s in terms of at least there was a lot of hype about them that they were going to be. This huge band that was going to change music, which, in some weird ways, they kind of did, but I don't think they saw any success out of it, other than unsung. I remember Betty was really hyped and supposed to be a big album, and it just didn't happen because it's not a good album.
0: No, and we'll probably get to that one and and both all those albums, eventually. Uh, but we're going to start at the beginning. So Jay, what did you think of Strap It On? And and did Knowing what was coming later, with Meantime and Betty, did that affect what you were hearing when you were listening to this?
1: Well, how it's a band that I I really want to like. Um, I remember in high school hearing uh, Meantime and being a big fan of that, and at the time it it really re- it was the first band in a long time that really reminded me of Black Sabbath, seventies Black Sabbath. I mean, at that point, that was my only reference for you know heavy guitar riffs like that, and and on that album, the way that he sings, particularly on that song, is, is sort of sort of Ozzy-ish. Um, so I've always wanted to give this band a chance. Um, I got Betty a couple of years after it came out, used was super disappointed um, in that record. So when you gave me this, my my hopes were pretty high that that I would like this considering it was their first record and probably the best form of the band that existed. Um, I think there's there, there's things about this band that I think are that are important, and, it, and it's cool to hear, particularly when you consider that they were doing this stuff in 1990. You know, I think what he was doing on guitar really kind of... It heavily influenced... He, I think he was probably one of the top, let's say, five people that probably influenced guitar playing for the next 10, maybe 20 years. I think his his style is, is that important. Unfortunately, on this album, his singing is horrendous.
0: <laughs>
1: um, so, for the most part, I'm kind of into the songs until he starts singing, and then I just have a really hard time. Um He's just got no on this album. He's got no sense of melody or anything. Um, he, you know, he can barely even yelling, uh, yelling key. <laughs> uh, so, I think that combined with, you know, this album to me sounds really flat. You know, the guitars are so 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 overdriven and so freaking loud um, that it really flattens the sound out. So there's not a lot. There's not a lot of texture there. There's not a lot to discover. It's sort of, it's all right there in your face. And within a, you know, listening to 20 seconds or 30 seconds of one song, you get the gist of what the album's about. There's no surprises after that point. There's no twists and turns. There's no, uh, you know, dynamic shifts. It's pretty much that for, I mean, thankfully it's not a ton of songs. So when you're in the mood for this, this kind of thing, you you can pretty much get through the whole album and not, you know be spent on it but it's just it's it's um it's too flat for me it's not multi-dimensional enough it's not um you know production wise it's it's not great it's uh you know drum wise the tones are not fantastic there's barely any bass at all so i think the thing that makes this band different than say a, a biohazard which i think there's a lot of similar similarities um especially this album is that the other guitar, at least for some of the songs or a lot of guitar or a lot of the songs, it, it does some dissonant sort of pretty interesting counter stuff. Um, So it's not just the same riff played again.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I think that's the one of the big things that really probably sets them out from being just a biohazard or suicidal tendencies or some kind of like you know, new breed thrash band or, you know, heavy alternative band. Well, they're they're, they're um, tapping into they're the New well, York hardcore. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, th- those other bands were too. But they just, they do it with a little bit more avant-garde sort of approach to it that I think makes them a l- maybe a little bit different and potentially more credible.
0: You think that that comes from his playing in an avant-garde band like Band of Susans.
1: Uh, that's a good point. Uh, probably, I I hadn't really I mean I hadn't really put it together like that, but I mean that makes some sense. I mean, there's definitely something there. Uh, there's just a little bit different, and, and it's not the big, it's not the big signature helmet riffs. I mean that that was diff kind of different. It just hadn't been done outside of Headbangers Ball. Which they were able to do because they combined it with some other stuff that was um a little bit more alternative, avant garde, experimental, dissonant, sort of fit them in with maybe some of the the D C hardcore stuff and some of the bands that were doing a little bit more progressive, you know, noisy kind of heavy rock.
0: Well, I'll tell you where where I put that together in terms of his connection to Band of Susan's is on track three, Bad Mood. Mm-hmm. In the chorus, there is this riff. It's a bad
1: mood. It's a look.
0: looked up the guitar tab, because I was unsure what he was playing, and they're not normal chords, and I actually put them into a, a chord finder on the internet to figure out what the hell he was playing, and the chord finder didn't even recognize them. So he is playing some really weird stuff. Mm-hmm. So at the core, a lot of these are pretty simplistic, repetitive, drop D, drop C guitar riffs. When he gets mm-hmm. into some of the deeper parts of the songs, whether it's the choruses or the bridges, he's doing some weird stuff. And the thing that kept like reoccurring for me is the first song in this album is called Repetition, which seems completely appropriate, not just for this album, but just for Helmet as a whole, is that they are known for having just a sledgehammer guitar riff repeat over and over and over again. And that's even when you when you look at the uh, like reviews for this album on like Amazon or iTunes or wherever you can buy the record. You can buy it pretty much everywhere. It's always stuff like it's precision, it's sledgehammer, it's piston-like, it's punishing, and it's it's kind of those like mechanical grooves and all those adjectives that really sort of define everything about Helmet. And that's kind of what I was drawn to at first. when I, The first time I heard Helmet was seeing the video for Unsung on MTV. And I was like, what is this? Because these were dudes playing, I remember the video vividly. They're playing in a factory, and there's like, you know, explosions of sparks and like various um, machinery that's being utilized. And then they're basically in shorts and t-shirts with buzz cuts playing these heavy heavy riffs and i'd never seen like anybody look like that play music that heavy i mean they looked like jocks playing you know essentially metal which was when you think of metal in early late 80s early 90s your vision of metal is guys with long hair guys with you know tattoos and that was that was metal so this was like a completely brand new experience for me
1: Well, before you leave that point, so what I said about his guitar playing and his style was that even though they weren't super commercially successful, that came to be a huge defining aspect of what hard and heavy rock was to be for the next, I mean, kind of until now. Mm -hmm. Now, even that aesthetic had never been done before. And now, you know, think about 10 years after that, 2000, a lot of bands look like that and sort of had that sound. Think about a band like
0: Rage Against the Machine. Yeah. Hugely successful in the 90s. You know, they're basically using the helmet playbook, which is you find a, you know, a riff and drive it into the ground. Now, Tom Morello did some obviously really different stuff with his solos and he's trying you know he's playing in a different ballpark in terms of what
1: they had more of a funk element to them at times too i mean not overtly but it was there was a rhythm in there that was they were
0: basically helmet plus red hot chili pepper yeah and you know for uh, i will agree with you that the greatest drawback to this record is the vocals uh, because they're not even there are there are yelling, hardcore vocals, and this isn't even yelling. This is like, right. this is like yelping and <laughs> squawking barking and squawking. Now, what's interesting is that their biggest single, "Unsung," he's clearly singing on that song, and you can. Right. And that album is sort of split, which kind of confused me when I got the record at first because he is yelling on about half the songs on "Meantime." And he's singing on half the songs, where on this record, he's barely singing on any of these songs. Yeah. He's pretty much barking and and yelping and everything else that we mentioned um, on most of these songs, which, you know, if this had been an instrumental album, I probably would like it even more. Because I the, the drawbacks that you mentioned with regards to the, the guitars just being overdriven as loud as possible and... You know, the drums don't sound very big. They sound like they were recorded in, like, a concrete basement with, (laughs) you know, there's no atmosphere to these drums. It's just the sound of a snare and the sound of a kick. And that is it. And nothing.
1: They even do a thing where they, uh, on some of the songs, they, like, overgate the drums so that they purposely want them to sound like a drum machine. Did you notice that?
0: No, I didn't, but that's a good pickup.
1: Like, some of the intros and stuff where, like, they're trying hard to make the real drum kit sound like a drum machine. Which for you know some music they're playing, I I see where they were trying to go. It just sounds strange. Like I almost wish they just would have used a drum machine. But yeah, you're right. I mean, there's just no... There's no room to any of this drum sound. It's just straight concrete room and you know direct mics.
0: Well, it's interesting because the drummer on this album, John Stainer, who plays in Battles now, is pretty much known for being a human drum machine. Like, the guy is absolute precision. And I mean, he plays with essentially an electronic band now, but he's playing live drums. I don't know if mm. you've ever seen his setup. Um, but he plays with the crash symbol as high as possible. So basically he's got this full kit and then the crash symbol is like four feet above him. It's bizarre looking. And I didn't understand really why, but he basically like throws his arm all the way up and hits the crash symbol. And um, doesn't ever miss a beat. I mean, he is absolutely on it every beat. Um,
1: Some drummers do weird things like that. To the actual physical space will make them adhere to tempos and sort of the rhythms because they can't physically move. You know what I'm saying? Like you space things and position things out almost in awkward distances and, and things just because it'll 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 slow you down. I mean, that's kind of the point. Gotcha. So that's probably one of the the things whether he's consciously doing it or not that's one of those things where um, that's probably why that's being done
0: one of the songs that I wanted to bring up is track 8 make room it is kind of a template for what a lot of helmet would become it has a 3-4 rhythm to it kind of a swing almost
1: yeah I wrote down that the uh, it reminded me of uh, Hendrix's manic
0: uh, compression yeah yeah manic depression Compression is the compression. Um, but that that sort of like swing, which I don't think a lot of hardcore bands utilized that at the time. I don't know if I don't you know listening to like quicksand and stuff. I'm sure that they use three four, but not necessarily in that way. a very, like, helmet-y thing. Helmet-y. Created a, a adjective there. That's indicative of a lot of their sound on future albums. And, um, I did want to mention, also, track four, which is Sinatra, which is one of the songs I really didn't care for, is, uh, or was covered by the Deftones. Hmm. And it was funny reading, uh, some of the reviews when I went into the Deftones catalog, apparently they covered it and then it was, I think it was like a B-side or something like that. And a lot of people who listened to the Deftones and when went back to listen to the original helmet version were like, I don't like this. <laughs> so this yeah. doesn't sound like the Deftones. Like, yeah, not really. Not really. doesn't, doesn't sound like the Deftones.
1: Did you notice... Um... I picked up on this where, right away. The first couple songs, when they go into, um, I, I guess they're guitar solos. I mean,
0: mm-hmm.
1: the first couple the first couple tracks, particularly I think track two, has a legitimate guitar solo, but it's mixed really, it's purposely mixed very low.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Strange because all the guitars are in your face, and then he comes and does this, you know, kind of a, a wailing guitar solo, and, and it's pushed way back, almost like he was uncomfortable with it. Wasn't sure, like, like he wanted something there and he was capable of doing it, but then in the mix was like, oh, I sound like I'm wanking off. Just put that, you know, push that back. Yet later on in the album um, track uh, five, I think. F-B-L-A. Yeah, five. It's got a really just a noisy, obnoxious sort of guitar solo in it, where he's just making dissonant noise and it's super loud you know it's like right in your face there's nothing he's he's not ashamed of, to put that one out there it's sort of it, it hit me is as, is as, as a bit funny i mean being it was 1990 it, it, i'm not sure how conscious that was or not but you know listening to it now is like was he sort of i mean because the guy's obviously got some guitar chops you know he's he probably took guitar lessons i'm gonna guess like he's Sort of plays like a competent person, like he knows what he's doing, and uh, it just sort of—it seemed to me like there might be a battle in on, on this album going on a little bit of him trying to resolve like how to use that that knowledge and ability he has in a way that's, you know, he doesn't feel like he's just another guitar wanker.
0: Well, I, I think in, in, I heard it on the first song too, where he came into the guitar solo, and it was very traditional sounding, and then it sort of dissolved into noise. And I think that he hadn't figured out how to make the solo serve the song, where either he was going to just, you know, like you said, wank and just do like a million notes like he was just shredding all over it. And then he didn't want to do that. So then it was just make the guitar feedback and create a bunch of noise. And I think... I think on future albums, he sort of figured out the happy medium of adding melody and noise at the same time um, to some of the solos that he played. And I I just think it's, it's, you know, this is him stepping on his own for the first time after he had been a side player in Band of Susans. And I'm, I'm guessing he was relatively young when he joined Band of Susans. So I don't think, you know, I think he's probably in his early 20s when... Helmet forms, so it's not unreasonable that he wasn't quite sure what he was doing in terms of where he wanted to go with you know, his solos, and it kind of reminded me of um, of uh, the some kind of monster or uh, the Saint Anger album that Metallica put out, and I'm talking about how I, like Kirk Hammett's like, we're not going to do any solos. <laughs> like, well, it'll sound dated. And he's like, well, it'll sound dated if we don't do solos. I yeah. imagine that sort of like argument, not in this argument, this discussion going on, where like, you're going to actually do a solo? Well, you're going to do it, you're going to do it, just make it noise.
1: the part that was it wasn't the playing to me that it was just the way that was mixed like it there some of them are obviously mixed much louder than others which seems strange
0: and the guy who engineered Um, this uh wharton tears i mean he worked with dinosaur jr the guy knows how to mix a guitar solo you know there isn't a single dinosaur jr album where the guitar solo isn't up front first and foremost
1: what's funny is that um You were talking about track two, the solo on there. (laughs) Because of the tone he's using and and sort of what you described of him trying to um, play with some proficiency and and using typical sort of soloing technique combined with noise, it really comes off sounding a lot like um, Vernon Reed from Living Color to me. That's a good, Um, yeah. You know, it sounds like, you know, I I like the, the first couple Living Color albums and it it sounds like a lot of his stuff. Um, I'm not sure later on in Helmet if it continued that way, but just the, the tone and everything coming together. It was like, oh, wow, this, this totally... Sound. And that was a band that was... They were had a big single then, right? 1990, 91, 89, somewhere around there.
0: Yeah, would have been around the time of cult personality, yeah. So I, I found that interesting. Well, they were a New York band, right? I think so. Yeah, because... From what I remember, Vernon Reed, I don't want to bring up for the second show in a row, but I I saw Vernon Reed at CMJ in 97, and he was playing avant-garde music. Mm -hmm. He wasn't doing, you know, The Greatest Hits of Living Color. He was doing, like, experimental guitar stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I'm guessing that he was familiar with the crew that H. Hamilton was... You know, Hamilton is connected to Band of Susans. Band of Susans have uh a similar sound to sonic youth the guy who worked on this record had worked with sonic youth a lot you know there's definitely like the new york you know no wave and hardcore and experimental all sort of like mixing together in the 80s and early 90s so you know for all i know you know he might have known burn or whatever although i'm guessing living color was probably big at this point so they might be probably on tour most of the time yeah. There's a band that, I don't know if we can get into them. They put out a 90s album, right?
1: Oh, yeah. Did There's a couple albums in the 90s that they weren't successful, but they're decent.
0: Uh, It's, it's really not even relevant to talk about why this band wasn't more popular. Well, I, mean, of, I think, of this album, at least.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, look, I mean, you you kind of said it. If they would have just done more stuff like Unsung, where he actually sang, they probably would have been huge.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't know what his problem was with wanting to sing. I mean, obviously, you could. I mean, he doesn't have to be Robert Plant, for Christ's sake.
0: Well, there's a. He there, just there's... Needs to be able
1: to carry a, a decent melody and not squawk. And I, I, from what I remember of Betty, I don't think there's any singing on that either.
0: See, I thought, I, I thought there was, I, at least on the songs like Milk Toast and. Um, the other single, which I don't remember the name of, uh, I do remember there being some singing on that record. Uh, not as much as "Meantime," probably why that album was more successful, not just as an overall record but in terms of sales as well. But on the Aftertaste record, which came out in '97, the first mm-hmm. single was exactly what you wanted. And it's kind of the right blend of him singing, but having a little bit of bark to it, like it's aggressive singing. Now, mm-hmm. sung, he's pretty uh, restrained, and exactly what you wanted it has a much more uh, aggressive tone to the vocals. Um, I actually really like that song. A lot. You know, down the road, down the road, we'll get to that album. The album as a whole isn't spectacular but there's a there's a handful of really good tracks on that record um i think i think i'm probably tainted in terms of all this because that first helmet record was such a big deal to me that i'm willing to forgive some of the production and vocal issues and still you know really enjoy listening to this record even though i don't necessarily want to hear him at all yeah. but there was a way I could EQ it so his vocal was down and like, everything else was would... <laughs> I would probably do that. Um but you I are... think for me it
1: it I, I I don't mind it a song or two. It just for the whole album, it just gets real old fast. It it just kinda harsh, you know. Production wise.
0: Yeah, and I think you now if you're into bands like from this era Jesus Lizard uh, the earlier Soundgarden stuff quicksand jaw box especially the earlier stuff this this would probably be something you'd want to check out if you had not listened to the earlier helmet you're only familiar with unsung or Betty or something like that because you'd heard it when it came out I, I don't think this is that far off from those It just doesn't have the the vocals that you're probably gonna want. No, it doesn't have Jay Robin's smooth vocals that he's able to transition from singing to screaming within a single like verse, which H. Hamilton doesn't seem to have that sort of dexterity in his, in his vocal.
1: So I'm fascinated to know how how it is that you find seaweed monotonous and uninteresting, uninter- but you f- <laughs> you think helmet particularly this album is, is pretty good. I'm, I'm lost.
0: I think it's because of the aggressive nature of, uh, of the guitar playing. Um, this sounds really close, a lot closer to Quicksand than Seaweed. And that's what I liked about the Quicksand album is that even wasn't, even when I wasn't in love necessarily with what was going on vocally, it was so interesting musically, regardless of even the production on that record, that um, I could still uh, really enjoy it. You know, I have a little bit more of a history with Helmet than Seaweed, so I'm sort of, like I said, I'm tainted. With oh,
1: it. that's. But,
0: like, I heard that first, you know, and maybe I didn't hear the first, the right song for Seaweed maybe I would have been more forgiving but I heard the right song first for Helmet which was Unsung and that song you know hit me yeah a so,
1: so did I and I've kept I've been searching for the, for Unsung 2 for 20 years and still haven't found it
0: I still think that, that Meantime is a great album front to back so I don't will have, have to revisit that and we will in uh, in the coming years we'll get the Meantime 2015. 2015. Mark it down on your calendars, folks. Uh, the uh, number first podcast of 2015, we'll be reviewing uh, Helmets Meantime. But until then, I was going to take a Meantime pun there. But uh, Until then, you're going to have to uh, deal with all the other albums.
1: So I feel like at the end of these shows, we should be doing like a star rating or a thumbs up or a thumbs down or... Sort of sometimes feel like it's unresolved.
0: Uh, well, for me, this is a, I guess I would say, a qualified thumbs up, meaning if you like Helmet and the bands that I mentioned, this is worth checking out. If you don't like any of those bands, don't bother with this. That's what I said.
1: Yeah, I'd have to give it a thumbs down. I think even if you like those bands, um, go listen to Meantime.
0: Well, you're, you're entitled to be wrong. That's okay.
1: <laughs> so maybe we need to have the thumbs up, thumbs down more often. it a little bit more controversial. Make us have to actually have a final point of view and make a decision.
0: <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. Um, so that wraps it up for Helmet's strap it on Jay doesn't like it I say if you already like this kind of music or this band let's check it out if not you're not gonna like it and so who do you trust folks who do you trust your weekly co-host or this guy who just keeps showing up
1: I'm the one that likes metal and heavy music and I'm telling you thumbs down and the guy that's into I don't know what are you into Polyphonic Spree
0: Oh, oh! Really? Now he's telling
1: you this is a good metal
0: record. First of all, so I you, don't you own a single Polyphonic Spree album. Second of all, all
1: right, what's that band from Montreal with like eight thousand people in it?
0: <sighs> Arcade Fire. Jay, is that what you're getting at? The one that they won. If the you want to listen year?
1: to, if you want to take your metal, um selections from uh, Arcade Fire fan you should definitely go with to this
0: <laughs> and on that note uh, I'll be putting up the post for the new co-host next week so <laughs> feel free to send in your resumes and uh, that'll be it everybody say uh, say thanks to Jay for all these weeks
1: it's been fun
0: been great thanks for having me appreciate it yeah sure i'm um,
1: gonna go get out of the
0: heat okay yeah you go and you find some air conditioning and uh, you should get in your car and just run the car with the air conditioning on
1: in my grass hut
0: yeah there you go okay all right thanks everybody for joining us we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me
1: Out.
0: visit digmeoutpodcast.com for links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed